Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 600 CDOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CDOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. This episode is proudly presented by Dell Technologies. They are a team of experts that helps you solving all your IT-related challenges and IT needs in your daily business and consult you in choosing the right end-to-end -end IT solutions or products. They offer IT technology solutions for companies of any size, tailored to their needs and have a huge product portfolio with IT solutions and know-how. They can help CTOs through providing end-to-end -end IT solutions, be it laptops, PCs, workstations, or server storage, cloud, and IoT solutions or financing. If you want to know more, please check the show notes to get a link. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. And today, my guest, like just following DHH, uh, David Heidemeyer Henson, the inventor of Rails, is the inventor of the popular Laravel framework, Taylor Otwell. Um, so he initiated it, I think, like around 10 years ago and is the CEO of the company behind it. Um, so the company called Laravel as well. Um, and I think he's a very interesting person uh, with interesting opinions. Um, and I think it's like a great follow-up for the discussion I had with, 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 with David because I see similarities between um, both frameworks and maybe he can tell us a bit more about the similarities and the inspiration um, and also how he sees it as of today. Um, welcome, Tyler. Hey, thanks for having me. So... Maybe as a first question, you can tell us a bit more about how you actually, how you actually came there. What is your nerd path? How did you, how did you get into into programming, um, and how did your 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 career go so far? Yeah, so I started programming uh, when I was basically a kid. Um, I started building um, simple websites when I was probably eleven or twelve years old, just using HTML and. I don't think I was even using CSS back then. Um, I eventually started programming in high school on my uh, calculator, my graphic calculator during class. I would uh, build little games on that. And then I went to university and majored in um, information technology. And after that, I graduated and was a programmer at a large trucking company here in the U.S. Um, called ArcBest Freight. And there I worked on uh, C-sharp programs, VB.net programs, and... Um, also COBOL programs, some of which were written before I was born, actually. Um, I, I did that for a few years, and then I really wanted to start um, tinkering with my own way to build my own business ideas, basically my own startup ideas. And I had done a little bit of PHP in college for various uh, class projects and stuff like that, so I knew it was pretty easy to use, pretty easy to deploy. Um, so I started tinkering with that and sort of wrote my own framework for how to efficiently build websites and web applications in PHP and put it out in the world and sort of accidentally became a, a famous PHP programmer <laughs> um, after that, once people started using it. Okay, uh, interesting. And um, 
Did you have inspirations back then uh, when when you started it? Um, like, I'm, I'm just asking because I'm a Rails guy and I kind of saw it and felt, okay, yeah, that, this looks familiar. It, it looks good, actually. I mean, for a PHP fr framework, I also did like a lot of PHP back then um, <laughs> before I migrated to Rails um, and kind of felt like that, that this is kind of a nice way to do a PHP um, framework. What? what Yeah, so my goal was never really to build a popular PHP framework. At the time, my goal was to launch a business. Um, I didn't really have a solid idea of what business that would be, but you know, like I wanted to have my own base camp, basically, or like my own whatever, my own my own SaaS startup. Um, and Laravel was just a way to let me build that faster, but it was never really intended to be the main goal. Um, it only became like kind of accidentally a business later, you know? Um, but at first that was not really my intention. And I of course had no idea that it would become as popular as it did over time. And you then started your, your first own SaaS company. What, which one was it or SaaS project? Yeah. The, the first, um, first SaaS I launched was Laravel Forge. Um, I launched it in the summer of 2014. So Laravel had actually been released for about three years uh, before I was able to launch that SaaS and sort of monetize the framework in any serious way. Um, I had previously written like an ebook or like a training book about Laravel and made a little money. I think I made something like $100,000 on that book, uh, which was a good amount of money, but not enough money to like change my life or quit my job or necessarily or anything like that. Uh, but in 2014, I launched Forge and very quickly replaced um, you know, my salary at my job and then doubled my salary. And then I, then I kind of had to make the decision to uh, go full-time on Laravel because I, couldn't, I could no longer do both, uh, maintaining Laravel and having a, a job. And also maintain Forge as like one of your first first products then. Uh, but, but how right. was your time split between like maintaining the framework and, and doing essentially open source work, which you maybe don't charge customers for and 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 your mm -hmm. framework what was the split there um it was probably about 50 50 um i would spend a lot of time still working on the framework of course uh, building the features that i needed to build forge building features that other people were submitting to me through pull requests and things like that on github and then also answering customer support tickets on forge and of course forge was smaller back then so it was a little bit easier for me to manage um by myself i later needed to bring on help of course and hired staff um, um a guy named Mohammed saeed who was a contributor to laravel before i hired him um, he was my first hire and really helped me out a lot with, you know, being able to maintain both Forge and Laravel and eventually brought on other staff members, of course, uh, later on. And, and, and how many people do you employ these days? Uh, well, I think we have about five or six people. Uh, all of us are programmers. Um, um, so we have like a couple of people working on Laravel Forge, um, people on Laravel Vapor. Uh, we have a person dedicated just to open source, actually. Um, his name is Dries, uh, based out of Belgium. So he actually spends his whole day working on open source issues and tickets and triaging things, um, you know, surfacing things to me that I may need to take a look at. Um, so that's actually his full-time job, uh, just because the open source stuff has become such a big deal and so busy. And, um, Then we have persons. We have basically a person dedicated to each project, each product. Okay, that that's really a unique 
thing out there, right? Or do you see like a comparable company? Um, it's a, definitely a small company. We're actually trying to hire right now um, a couple more people because um, I think we're a little understaffed. Um, I don't, I don't totally know of a great comparison with another company. Um, it, it's a, it is a pretty unique situation, um, I think, and not something I can really draw one to one comparison with. Uh, yeah, uh, to, to be honest, like recently, um, there, there, there were like a few pictures of your house um, on on Twitter, and you just recently bought like the craziest house that I've seen for 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 ages. So <laughs> it must be very profitable as well. Yeah, I think you know I've kept the business so lean, um, you know, and when the businesses are bringing in millions of dollars and the profit margins are so high and the business is so lean. Um, you know, thankfully I've been able to be really successful with it. Um, I also live in a place that's very affordable. Um, <laughs> so that, that makes a big difference. Um, I don't live in New York actually, or like San Francisco. I live in Arkansas, which is probably one of the most affordable places to live in the United States. Um, so that makes it a lot easier for me as well. But yeah, uh, the business has always been really lean, maybe a little too lean. Um, like I said, I'm, I, I'd like to bring on a couple more people now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's kept it simple and profitable over the years. So you make like, I don't know, like a mid single digit AOR with it, I guess, then um, like just yeah. reading, it, reading the signs. <laughs> Yeah, I think a good year for us would be in the six to seven million dollar range um, across the whole ecosystem. You know, Forge, Envoyer, Vapor, Spark, Nova, all combined um, have a pretty good, uh, a nice revenue stream for us as a lean team. And how much do you actually integrate those components and ideas into your open source work? I mean, how much is it? Is it is it set in stone where you deploy your application to, and um, how how much do you pay for? Do you do you, do you charge for components as well, or? Yeah, so this has always been kind of a, a sticky subject for us to figure out because, of course, we don't want to require everyone that uses Laravel to be forced to use this commercial product uh, to deploy their application. Um, so no, you don't really have to deploy to any one. In, in any one way or to any one service, um, you can deploy Laravel to Heroku or Google Cloud or whatever, uh, not using Forge. Um, so we just try to be um, make it as easy and streamlined as possible to be the most obvious choice to deploy your Laravel application because we actually maintain Laravel. We integrate with the features of the framework really well. Um, and we can kind of build... You know, like it wouldn't make sense for someone like DigitalOcean or AWS to build a very Laravel specific thing just because that's such a niche market for them. Uh, but for us, we can really fine tune and make it the best Laravel experience we can, which I think helps us capture a lot of that market. Um, we do sell some, I guess you would say, components. We have a thing called Laravel Spark where basically what it is is all of my experience and sort of the code I had to write building Laravel Forge and building Envoyer as these SaaS products, I basically bundled that up into this SaaS starter kit for Laravel, you might say, um, and called it Laravel Spark. And we do sell that as like a one-time product. It's not a recurring subscription like Laravel Forge. It's basically a one-time $99 payment and you get the code and you're done. And it's sort of a head start on building your SaaS in Laravel. That that absolutely makes sense, and uh, I I think like also when I look at the open source world, 
it, it kind of like I just have the comparison with Rails. It it kind of would make sense for some components to be commercial and for some some developers to actually be paid for 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 the stuff they for the great work they 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 did there. It's just not possible, right? And I, I think sponsoring is kind of the very indirect way to do so. Did you did you ever think about that, or do you do sponsoring at at Laravel? Um, we do do. We do some sponsoring. It's a little bit different than I would say like pure sponsors. So what we do is we have something called a Laravel Partners Program. And it's basically um, development agencies or consultancies that build Laravel applications for clients um, around the world. And they pay to be these sort of vetted Laravel partners that I have a relationship with and I've ensured that their work um, has good quality. And it's basically this directory of, of agencies that people can go to if they need Laravel work done and, and they can trust that these people know what they're doing with Laravel. And those people pay me a monthly fee. So that's, that's a little different than like traditional open source sponsorship on GitHub where just like people are donating $4 a month or $5 a month to the repository or whatever, which I don't think it's like rarely sustainable. I think that someone can make enough money on just pure donations to actually make a living off open source. Like all the examples I can think of, like, um, for example, like Vue.js, Vue is a popular JavaScript uh, framework. Uh, the creator Evan Yu has basically a sponsorship or program where you if you sponsor you get ad space on the website and to me that's like selling a product you know you're selling ad space it's not like pure donations um is sustaining the project it's the sell of ad space and stuff like that that's that's sustaining the project um so i think you know that's how we've done sponsorships um is through that partners program interesting i mean you built basically so many components around the framework that I, I know no comparison comparable comparable tool, no comparable framework. I mean, you even build a conference, right? Right. Yeah, Laracon, uh, both in the U.S. and in Europe, and we've and we've also had conferences in Australia, and we have an online conference. Um, we had an online conference actually before COVID. Um, we had had it. We had done it for several years, um, but since COVID, we've transitioned to primarily online. We are going to try to have an in-person conference uh, in Europe again this summer. Um, hopefully, uh, once things are have died down a little bit. I hope so too. Yeah. Um, and what is your your end game? What is your vision for Laravel? Oh gosh, I've I've honestly built more than I ever anticipated ever building when I started uh, <laughs> building Laravel. Um, so you know where it goes from here, um, I'm not totally sure. Of course, we're still working on improving things every day. Um, I still really like working on Laravel, the framework itself, making it better, streamlining it. Things I would personally like to do in the future are things like build a SaaS or build a business that is not so tied to Laravel, you know, more diversified, still interesting maybe to developers, um, but not um, so integrated into the Laravel space, you know, not, I mean, like Basecamp, not a project management tool, but, you know, something that's, Basecamp is disconnected from Rails, you know, that's not something that only Rails developers use. I'd like to build something like that in the future. Uh, one, just because I think it'd be kind of fun to do and different from everything I've done in the past. And then uh, two, I think it would be a really good 
way to explore the framework and see how it performs in these sort of situations where I've never really used it. Um, I think it would be a good way to find new features that might be great for Laravel or to spin off new tools. You know, and I think that's, I mean, I think DHH has done that in the Rails ecosystem a lot where they take some approach to building things a certain way in Basecamp and it, it works out well for them and they extract it into Rails. It could be like Action Text or uh, Turbo or Hotwire, some of the latest stuff they've released. You know, that's all stuff that they sort of built, um, developed while they were building Basecamp. And I think it would be cool for me to do that as well. And of course, I've done that with Forge and Envoyer and Nova and all that. But to do it in a non-developer SaaS, I think would be cool. And you would always use Laravel, obviously, um, for yeah. whatever you 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 do. Um, why did you choose PHP as the language? Uh, I mean, I kind of, to be honest, I, I I kind of stepped away from PHP at a certain time and thought, yeah, okay, I'm just coming back whenever newline to br function is gone, <laughs> and it's still there, unfortunately. <laughs> so mm -hmm. why PHP? I think you know, it's just like one of those things in life that's just this like random decision that has such bigger implications than you can imagine. So mm -hmm. like back when I was in college, I had a project. Um, I still remember the guy's name. My partner in this project was named Alfonso. And he, we were assigned to build like a small website for our class. And he was like, let's build it in PHP. I know PHP. It's really easy. Like it'd be easy for us all to use. So I was like, okay, great. We'll use PHP. There was no set, no set language we had to use or anything. Um, so we start using it and we build the project and done. So years later, you know, when I'm working in C sharp and VB.net and I wanted to build my own sort of web SaaS, <clears throat> I could have done it in .NET, of course. Um, it was, but it was more expensive. I had to buy, I would have had to buy visual studio for my like home computer. Uh, the hosting was more expensive. Uh, the deployment story was more complicated, uh, for how to actually deploy a .NET project onto the internet. Um, and this was kind of before, you know, Azure and all of that was kind of a big deal. So I remembered that project I had done back in university where I was like, well, maybe I'll just do it in PHP. I can just use uh, Sublime Text or Notepad++ or whatever. To, I don't need like a, a separate IDE to, to develop it. And it'd be really easy to just throw up on some $10 a month host, you know. Um, and so that's honestly why I started doing it is because of that, you know, I knew from my past that it was kind of easy to use. And I had never written a single line of PHP before in my life other than that one project. Um, but it just kind of worked out that way. And once Laravel got popular, I just sort of accidentally had become this uh, PHP programmer, which was not what I originally started out as. I was more of a .NET developer. So you did it because it was easy to use and simple to use. Um, Essentially, yeah. And, and how do you see like the the world as of it as it is now? Um, if you look at the different frameworks and the different options you have there, I mean, typically companies these days choose like a framework for single page web apps, like like Vue or React, and then like a, an underlying framework. They do like backend front end communication. They have stayed in the browser, so honestly, that is a lot of complexity if you just compare it to the. Like the way we build websites in the uh, back back in the zeros, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is there? Do you see a trend going back to this simplicity? Um, in certain ecosystems, I think there is some pushback. I think you see that in Rails with Hotwire and um, Turbo, where you know DHH is a very like simple 
likes things simple. Um, so would love to get rid of like Webpack and all these compilation tools and this crazy JavaScript stuff. And you see that in Laravel with tools like Livewire, which is um, inspired by Hotwire, which actually comes out of the Elixir ecosystem and the Phoenix framework on in that ecosystem, um, which is a way to basically build um, these very interactive and sort of real-time feeling modern web applications just using PHP um, and not using a lot of JavaScript at all, maybe just sprinkling some in here and there uh, when you need it. Um, so in certain ecosystems, I do see some pushback on the complexity of modern single-page applications. I'm not sure um, if that is like, um, you know, true for all of web development. I think that these sorts of... Uh, building the front end and view or react and then communicating with the back end does seem to be very popular. I'm not sure if the pushback will have enough momentum to overcome that. Um, I definitely agree. It's, you know, it's more, it's so much more complicated than how we used to build things. Um, and it's hard to say sometimes that the benefits are really worth it. Um, it probably just depends on the company and the, the team of developers that are building the project. Yeah, I mean, Amazon doesn't have an SPA, as far as I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably probably most people don't, you know. Um, uh, there's so many big web applications, like GitHub is built with Rails, you know, or, or Shopify is built with Rails, um, Airbnb is built with Rails, you know, these, these are running on traditional, like, web frameworks. Um, About You is built with Laravel, but I think they have yeah. like a, a view a view framework um, attached to it mm -hmm. or something. Um, yeah. So like my, I mean, my approach to that is I think there's two ways you can like approach that. You could just kind of stick your head in the sand and say like, nope, the Laravel way or like the traditional Rails way is the best way to build things, and we're not going to accommodate these other approaches at all. The end. And I'm really, I mean, there's a part of me that would love to do that, but I'm really hesitant to do that because I think you can get left behind really quickly if you're not and, and willing you lose to sort people of, on the way, right? You lose a lot of people. Yeah. On the way. So my approach lately, like over the past year, I would say has been to, okay, like obviously people are building web apps this way, like it or not, they're building view front ends and react front ends. And they're talking to Laravel backends, Python backends, Ruby backends, whatever. And okay. We just have to accept that as reality. And how are we going to fit into that reality and position Laravel to be a great option for that backend framework that they need to talk to? So, I mean, going forward, I'm going to be looking into, okay, how do we, how do we have a great, really good official GraphQL offering in Laravel? Because people building these front end apps, they're going to want to talk to a GraphQL backend and how are we going to accommodate that? You know, rather than saying, no, GraphQL sucks. Uh, these front ends suck, and we're just going to keep using only PHP. Like that, we're just going to be left behind over the years, whether we like it or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that strategy is valid. But if you could choose now how to build your 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 next application, and it would be, let's say, relatively front end heavy, but not necessarily, I don't know, over complex. What what would you do? Um, I would be tempted to use tools like Inertia, which I think is still sort of limited a little bit to the Laravel ecosystem, even though there is a Rails adapter for it. And basically, I think it tries to combine the best of both worlds. So like for your listeners that may not have heard of it, um, Inertia is this project originally started by Jonathan Rennig, where the routing and the data hydration of your, of your pages is all handled in the Laravel side or the Rails side, but you're still using Vue or React on the front end. So... 
when it hits like a, a route in your web application, you return a view page or react page um, with all the data it needs. And then from there, you're in a, a normal view app. So it's a lot like using view react, except without the complexity of the client side routing, the client side data retrieval, and all of the sort of performance complexities that come with that and just general development complexities. And you still get to keep everything in sort of one repository instead of having a separate front-end app and a separate back-end app. So <clears throat> that's probably what I would do on a new app um, or just use something like Livewire um, and just stick it all in PHP. But lately, I've been using Inertia more than, uh, more than anything else. Our beloved sponsor, the Google Cloud, is calling all those shaping the future, building the next generation of applications in the cloud and looking to grow fast. Join the Google Cloud experts at the digital event Scale Up Spotlights. Speakers including Kielsey Hightower and Luck Lakshmanen will be sharing can't-miss updates for tech leaders on the brink or on the throes of scaling up. Come be inspired and learn about the latest from Google Cloud and how their customers are deploying serverlessly, automating and turning to managed services to drive innovation without worrying about or dedicating excessive time to managing underlying infrastructure. Following the presentations, ask your toughest technical and strategic questions to the world's biggest and best Google Cloud experts. Check out the agenda and register today. The event will take place on March 30 at 10.30 Berlin time. To register, just visit g.co slash scaleupspotlight. But in a way, it also is a bit strange, right? I mean, it's, it's a bit comparable then to, to, to Next.js or, or, or Gatsby, um, like those, those static um, mm -hmm. SPA builders, right? Um, or mm -hmm. way it's different, but um, it, the, the approach is similar. And I, 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 I used those and kind of, kind of played with those. And I, it kind of ended making no sense <laughs> to me, mm -hmm. if I'm really mm -hmm. honest. I mean, yes, the applications <laughs> are fast. And yes, they feel like an, like an SPA. But in a way, you can also have fast applications, like just using HTML and like a good CDN and maybe good, 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 good caching in, this, in a good CDN uh, in the middle. And <laughs> you don't yeah. need that pre-compilation stuff and so on. I mean, it's different for inertia, I guess. Um, yeah, it feels like, um, it feels like there's a pretty big disconnect actually between front-end developers and back-end developers. And sometimes I don't think we really even understand each other that well, where like, I feel like, <clears throat> The front-end developers are, of course, really good at front-end and JavaScript and client-side concerns and things like that. And they're, they're trying to move more into a productive back-end offering, um, even things like Next.js and you know, server-side rendering and server-side components in React. And the back-end people are really good at like databases, SQL queries, uh, queued jobs, all of that kind of back-end stuff. And we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the best way to write front-end? So we're coming up with tools like Hotwire, Livewire, Inertia. And they're trying to figure out what's the best way to write back-end. And they're coming up with tools like Next.js, Remix, Blitz. And to me, like, neither side really clicks with the other side. You know, like, <laughs> I, like I don't really understand some of the decisions that some of the JavaScript frameworks make in terms of how they want to do back-end stuff. Um, and I, I'm sure they don't really understand like 
some of the decisions we're making with how we want to do front end stuff with live wire and hot wire and stuff like that. So I'm really interested to see like how this plays out over the, the next few years. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting time, honestly, to be a, a web developer. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but still, it for, to me, it, it every once in a while feels overly complex. If you look at the the whole stack you need then to to build an application, uh, I mean, also with yeah. Inertia, you will need some sort of a build tool in JavaScript. You will need some sort of a dependency management solution um, and, and stuff like that. As far, far as I, I I would guess. Yeah. Well, like I would go so so far to say is like. I mean, Rails came out in what, like 2004 or something like that? Yeah, something like that. And that, that was yeah. um, almost 18 years ago. And there, that's Rails. Um, Laravel kind of stands on Rails' shoulders. And uh, some would say even has an even more fleshed out ecosystem. But like to me, there's not even, there's not a full stack JavaScript framework that's even equaled Rails productivity. And that's an 18 year old framework. And so I think there's still, in terms of one person being able to sit down and build an entire SaaS, I think Rails and Laravel are still the most productive ways to do that. Like it's not really, and it's honestly not even very close, I would say, in terms of the productivity that you can get out of one person and one full stack framework. Um, so I think there's still a lot of development and sort of exploration to be done on, in the JavaScript ecosystem in that sort of framework space um, to kind of catch up a little bit because the ecosystems are so are so different. Yeah, and you have so much re-platforming happening there, right? In that in that in that, that JavaScript world, from my perspective, it's crazy. Like you can change build tools every second week. Um, yeah, ex yeah, and I think also one thing that is is new for me is like they much in that world, it's much more preferred to have like some backend as a service, like Firebase or whatever Hasura or all these other tools versus like in the Rails or Laravel world, it's just like, give me a MySQL server, you know, and I'm good. Um, so I don't, yeah, it's just a very different world and what I'm still learning about, but at the same time, don't want to discount or like not trying to look down upon it in any way. just like, what can I learn from this and how can, how does Laravel fit into this story, you know, over the next 10 years of web development? But do you think in 10 years we will have full stack developers again. I mean, the job of the full stack developer is kind of, the full stack developer is kind of hard to find, but if you find like the one productive guy that's productive with Laravel, um, he will solve all your problems, not only your front end. Um, and, and, and I mean, same could apply to um, like a JavaScript developer that just like is very good on the backend side as well. Like, will that job still exist in a few years? Um, I'm not sure. I hope so. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think it's possible because the tools are there and they're, they're better than ever, honestly. Um, if, if we can just sort of make them less complex to get started with, like tools like Laravel, um, and then on the front end, CSS tools like Tailwind, JavaScript tools like Vue and React. I think at the end of the day, they actually are a lot better than using like jQuery and PHP and are like plain PHP without a framework, I mean, and jQuery and just sprinkling in a bunch of libraries. I do think things are actually much more productive, much more organized, much easier to build things with. But uh, we just have to reduce complexity. And that's always been one of my biggest like 
focuses and jobs here at Laravel is to figure out how to reduce complexity in web development. Um, I definitely think it's possible. I, I, I mean, I think it's pretty likely that that job will still exist. Um, I just think a, a lot of new developers seem to be coming into web development via JavaScript. Like they go through boot camps or they go through sort of training camps where they learn JavaScript. And I think that's different where like 10 years ago, you may have actually learned some PHP at a boot camp or, you know, 15 years ago, you may have learned PHP or Rails as a boot camp like that. But now I think most of them are teaching JavaScript. Um, and so a lot of, it feels like a lot of developers are coming into web development only knowing JavaScript and only knowing front-end development. And they've maybe never written a SQL query, never interacted directly with a database at all. Um, and so, I don't know, we need to bridge that gap a little bit. But couldn't you just like also build an e-learning platform with Laravel and um, and just release good stuff, good content? I mean that like yes. reminds me of the early days with with Rails when there were just videos released and everyone was was excited about that. Um, like why not just build that? Right, and that's what we've tried to do with Laracast, which I don't. Uh, you know, a lot of people assume that I run Laracast, Laracast.com, which is basically a video. A training platform for Laravel with, gosh, over a thousand videos uh, by now. Um, it's actually uh, run by a guy named Jeffrey Way that lives in Florida. And he has been a longtime user of Laravel and he does a really good job with that. And I think it's been one of the keys to Laravel success, honestly, has been uh, this Laracast platform existing because it's onboarded so many people onto the framework that otherwise maybe wouldn't have been able to learn it or would have had a hard time getting started. And so I think it's been really instrumental to Laravel's success, honestly. And I didn't even build it. You, you should acquire it, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it does really well, um, honestly. Um, I know he has lots of subscribers, thousands of subscribers uh, to that platform. Um, and, and we also have tried to build up our own YouTube presence. Um, we have someone on staff here now that basically only focuses on video course, video training. Um, and we try to release two videos a week on our official YouTube channel. So that's something we're, that's new for us within the last year that we're trying to flesh out a little bit. But I agree that like, is it's really a training issue. And I've always been really focused on writing really good documentation really clear guides on how to do everything. And now, of course, we're trying to branch into a uh, good video as well. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> yeah, uh, I slept less back in the beginning. Um, so, but while I still had a full-time job, when I first launched Laravel, I would actually work on Laravel until one or two in the morning and then go to bed and then wake up at seven. And honestly, I felt great, but I was, you know, 10 years younger uh, than I am now. And, um, just had, just had one child. Um, so things were simpler, uh, back then nowadays. Now, since I work on Laravel full time during the day, I don't really honestly need to do that anymore. Um, since I work on Laravel pretty much eight to five normal hours and I don't really work on Laravel, um, at night or, you know, in the early morning anymore. And I guess your company is kind of remote first. Um, everyone works whatever he or she likes or how does it work? Yeah, we are a, a remote company. Um, I'm actually the only one in the U.S. And then we have someone in uh, Belgium, in the U.K., in Portugal, in Egypt, um, in Malaysia. Um, so we're, we're spread out a little bit. Uh, most of them, I think, work pretty traditional hours um, for their own time zones. 
Um, so we have some overlap. About half the day, I overlap with the uh, European developers and uh, the developer in the UK. Um, so yeah, it's, we use Slack and um, uh, GitHub and Basecamp to kind of stay on track of things. Basecamp that that is funny because like I barely know companies that that do use Basecamp. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we primarily use Basecamp for our daily check-ins, so we don't really have a lot of meetings. Um, we just use the daily check-ins feature of Basecamp, and it basically asks every employee, what did you do today at the end of each day? Uh, just so we can kind of see like what everyone's working on, if anyone's stuck on something, stuff like that. Okay, so instead of doing stand-ups, like synchronous stand-ups. Essentially, yeah. And that's almost the only feature we use of, <laughs> we use in Basecamp, actually. And and how do you operate the company Besides that, I mean, do you have kind of, is everyone responsible for his or her project then or product then? And you kind of focus on outcome or do you have OKRs? So, What do you, how do you manage it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, um, the, the people that are working on the various projects kind of surface things to me like, hey, um, a lot of customers are having trouble with this or I think it would be really cool if we added this feature. And we keep a list of those things and then I go through and kind of organize them, prioritize them and decide what I actually want us to tackle next. And, and of course, sometimes it's just our own ideas that are not based on customer feedback. But I'm more of like a curator of sorts in terms of organizing and determining what people are working on. And um, sometimes it's as simple as, if it's a quick thing, they say, hey, the customers are getting confused by this. I think we should fix it. And I say, okay, cool, go do that. And they do it and that's it. And it's very simple in that way. Uh, for bigger projects, I tend to be the one to organize it to kind of decide when it's getting worked on. But it's it's a pretty... A uh, simple informal process. There's not. I mean, since it's such a small company, it kind of feels weird to have a lot of red tape and uh, bureaucracy around it. Um, so it's pretty straightforward. Okay, and and how much do you contribute yourself? I mean, if you look at the Laravel core, how much is is your code? <clears throat> I contribute a lot still every day. Um, I still contribute to Laravel because that's actually what I do on a daily basis. I don't. I don't actually write very much code at all for the commercial products. That's something that uh, my team members do. I only work on essentially um, the open source framework, Laravel itself, and all of the open source libraries. Um, so I manage all of the pull requests on GitHub still, and I'm still the only person that merges pull requests on Laravel. Um, so I do that every day, every morning. Um, and then I usually do any sort of R&D, like if we're going to build a new product like Laravel Vapor, I built the entire 1.0 prototype of Laravel Vapor essentially by myself mm -hmm. um, or like something like Laravel um, Horizon or some of our other open source tools. I R&D those tools all the way to basically a 1.0 release um, just so that I can make sure that like all the APIs are right, that it feels really good, that it's sort of consistent with how all of our other things are built. And then from there, of course, other people can help contribute, but I do all of that R&D work. So you do the MVP Essentially, essentially, uh, yes. Release it and test it out, um, and do do the product management yourself, and also the development. And you do that like fully on your own. You don't have any overlaps mm -hmm. with any other developers, or correct? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a bit and it like helps an incubator, me... right? <laughs> yeah, basically, and it helps me. One keeps my skills like 
fresh and current helps me find new ideas for the framework itself. Um, because as I'm building an MVP, I might say like, uh, this part of Laravel kind of sucks. We need to fix it um, because I'm actually using it in the real world now. Um, and so that, that helps me find things that you know, may not be so great and fix them. And how do you organize your, your working time? I mean, how much time do you spend on, on, on interrupting topics like, like emails and chat and, uh, and, and how do you structure your day? Um, I spend the first part of my day answering customer support tickets because, um, across all of our products, I still handle any sort of like refund request or, you know, if any customer is like really unsatisfied, I would handle that customer support case myself. Um, I handle all of the GitHub pull requests. And I would say that takes about <clears throat> those two things combined are probably the first two hours of my day usually. And then for the other, say six hours, um, I'm going to be checking in on any, Uh, features I need to approve for the commercial products. So, for example, James, who's our employee that works most on Forge, he may have like a pull request for a new feature on Forge that I need to review, and I'll review that, kind of give my stamp of approval, and he'll ship that into production. Um, that could take another hour to go through all of that. So, um, you know, I'm getting close to lunch, I would say, by then. Uh, and then for the afternoon is when I'm probably going to be doing any of the sort of R&D work, any of the new Laravel work, any of the exploration stuff I need to do is going to be in sort of the back half of the day um, after lunch. And that's that's honestly pretty much how every day um, is set up for me. Okay. And you, you also have a family. How do you align that with, with your family um, that you kind of <laughs> inter-nerd things a lot? Yeah. Um, both of my kids are actually in school, uh, you know, during the school year. So it's, it's honestly pretty easy. Um, I just get off work at five and it's just like any other... Just like if I had a job, honestly, at a at an office and got home at five, it's just like a normal family night, you know. From there, have dinner and hang out with the family and stuff. And I don't really, I don't really work anymore, you know, outside of work hours, just because I don't need to with Laravel being a full time job. Um, so it doesn't feel. I mean, it just feels like a typical thing. It doesn't feel like um any big life consuming thing. Maybe with a bit more freedom because you can you work from home essentially and can jump off uh, in, in the afternoon if you want. Um, or yeah. Continue later. Something yeah, like for that. sure. Work. We're, I've been working from home since 2012 um, when I got into PHP. So already had a lot of experience working from home before COVID, um, and definitely makes things convenient in that regard. Okay. And uh, like, if you look at your 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 small amount of people. You like keeping it that way because you want to avoid synchronization, or is it just because it's easier to control? What is your? Uh, why do you? I do think it? because it's. I think because it's been easy to control a little bit, easy to um, stay on top of, and I also think that you know I'm a programmer. Really, I'm not really um, a manager. Um, I'm not really trained to be a manager, and so I think as the team grows. Um, which I think we need to, if we're going to, if we want to push Laravel further, I think we need some more people helping us out. Um, it may make sense that there comes a point where I bring on someone that's a little more trained or skilled in that area to be sort of a, uh, sort of a product manager of source. It, it could be even someone from within, you know, I think a, a lot of our team members are talented enough to do that to where they can sort of manage those things. Um, because that's why I've always kept it small is I've been a little bit afraid to have to manage more people and have to manage, 
uh, more employees and, and um, organized work for them, make sure they're happy, make sure they're, you know, working on interesting things that they're not burning out, you know, things like that. Um, that's why I've always kept it small because it's simpler to manage that. Um, but I think that could change in the next year. I think we could bring on two or three more people and grow a little bit more. If you look at the last year, what would you say were your three key learnings in, in your, in your, your business life? Oh gosh. Um, it's hard to say in the last year. Um, if I just look in general, I would say that some of the key learnings for me have been to focus on, um, not getting distracted from like your core philosophy and core personality of your product. So when I look back on Laravel, I can think of the times where like, I don't think we did the right thing have always been times where I was trying to like appease someone else's vision for what Laravel should be, you know what I mean? Or versus like what I think would be best for Laravel. Um, and I think that always sort of got distracting and led us off track and, and things like that. So I would say just staying true to what I envisioned wanted Laravel to be for me. And then two, focusing on working on things that actually have a good return on investment. It's really easy, I think, for people that are building SaaSes or small businesses to get focused on things that don't actually matter, um, either because their personality is such that just like, you know, they kind of focus on all the little nitty gritty details that are sort of irrelevant and don't see the forest for the trees. Um, it's really easy to do that, I think, as a small company um, as ju of just a few developers, especially because developers tend to be very like, you know, they, they tend to have a certain personality type sometimes where they just kind of hone in on the, these small little details that maybe not are so relevant for the success of the business. So when you're building features, when you're trying to build products, focus on things that actually have a good market and a good return on investment. You know, <laughs> uh, it seems like obvious to say that. Sounds, you know, sounds so easy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds obvious to say that from a business perspective, but you, it's just surprising like how many people don't do that, you know? <laughs> um, and then three, I think always um, do a really good job of keeping things accessible, marketing things well, making them easy to onboard to, um, You know, a lot of times I'll go look at like a website and I honestly just come away with not a very clear picture of what problem something's even solving, you know, or what, what are they actually trying to do for me to make my life better, uh, which is kind of the end goal of software, I guess, is to sort of improve, you know, make some task easier, improve people's lives in some way. And sometimes it's just not clear. So focus on making things clear, accessible a clear pitch of what value you're actually bringing to the table. You know, those have been things I've focused on. Okay. Thanks a lot. So, um, then I question, I, a question I also always like, like I tend to have like tools. I just bug people with because I like them so much, like, like a new SAS that, uh, I want to convince everyone of. Do you have <laughs> any, any, any of those tools you, you, you would, you would recommend right now? Gosh, I mean, the tools that I use the most are honestly pretty simple tools. Like, um, I'm a huge user of Todoist, the to-do list app. I use mm -hmm. it. I run my whole life basically out of that app. Um, and would gladly pay like 200 bucks a month for that. app. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's sort of one of the main tools I use, uh, the most, um, and really the main one that comes to mind right now. Um, I'm also a pretty big fan of Notion um, to keep things organized. That's where I keep a lot of like notes and documents for little ideas I have or um, little like 
you know, if I have a new like product idea, I'll write like a little pitch for it in there, stuff like that. Um, those are two tools I use a lot. So um, talking of Notion, um, like just from my perspective, I've honestly, I, I haven't used it in, in, in a professional context for in a very deep way because I always got the impression that it, it's kind of just a reinvented confluence. <laughs> like it just looks yeah. nicer, right? Um, and I think like the core problem in a lot of companies is that people find it attractive because it looks nicer and it maybe has like a few features that, that make it easier. But whenever sure. you have a certain set of documentation and a certain size of, of your space, it gets very hard to maintain. Um, is it the same mm -hmm. with Notion or would you say it's just easier? I use, we're a small company, so it's hard to say. And I also use Notion a lot for just like my own private stuff, you know, not for um, sharing company documents necessarily. So like I have a Notion, I have my own private Notion with like my current projects I'm working on and little notes about them. And then also I even keep like um, little um, a little scratch pad in Notion to jot down ideas or a list of links that I want to come back to. I use it for a lot of just like my own personal stuff. So it's hard to say. It is so like freeform. I could see that it could become hard to organize if you're not careful in a, in a large uh, company. And, you know, I think your point about just having a better UI is interesting and something I've th thought about a lot where it seems like a lot of tools are that way, you know, like ev even Slack, you know, is just sort of a better UI on top of chat. Better IRC, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Better, a better IRC, you know, easier onboarding. It looks better, things like that. And whether it's technically better or whatever is irrelevant, you know, it just has a fresh coat of paint and so people will buy it. <laughs> Yeah, but that that has a lot of truth, I think, and and I think it's actually the same. The same applies to frameworks, and the same yes. applies to the marketing you do around frameworks, or you should do around frameworks. That if if you do your job right, it's it's just yeah, making it a bit simpler, a bit easier to use, a bit more fun to use. Yeah, I think appealing. it's like I mean, it's actually a perfectly valid like business strategy. You know, like there's a lot of. It's actually really valid, I think, to come into SaaS and build an app of a market space that already has a lot of competitors even, maybe. It's say like a podcasting app, um, something like Transistor, or like, I don't know, Simplecast or whatever. Um, there's lots of apps where you can host your podcast. But if you come into that space, the market is already proven, right? The market exists. There's lots of customers um, out there willing to try these kinds of things. And if you just put a fresh coat of paint on it and maybe a couple of new features and it looks really nice, <clears throat> you probably have a business, you know, like you're probably going to get some customers. <laughs> um, so I think it's like, you know, it's a pretty valid and interesting way to launch a SaaS, honestly, and maybe the safer way to launch a SaaS rather than launching into some market space that is not proven that there's any customers at all that even exists in the world. So do you, have you hired a designer then? Um, so this is actually interesting. Just within the last couple of weeks, I came across this service called Design Joy. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's it's one person, and you you subscribe for twenty five hundred dollars per month, and you get access to them as like a designer on retainer for any design needs you have. And they they closed off subscriptions um, at like I don't know how many people. I think it was forty or fifty people that he has signed up for this. So he's making a million dollars a year um, with 40, 50 customers. 
and you just get a and there's not even really an app it's you, he gives you access to a trello board where you drop your design request to and it's just like holy cow this is such like a genius idea his designs are really good i mean it's a really top-notch designs uh for apps or for just marketing stuff or whatever you need and it's like holy cow what a business 50 customers million bucks a year you didn't even have to build an app. You didn't have to code an app. You're just using Trello. It's just, I don't know. I was really impressed by the whole concept, honestly. So you're using that instead of a designer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm using I mean, I, I honestly, it's so new. I just signed up for it last week. I haven't even used it yet, but that's what I plan on using. In the past... Maybe that's the strategy. Have, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- well, exactly. Like, you're getting $2,500 a month from people. Sometimes they need you. Sometimes they don't. But what do they care? Like, it's cheaper than hiring like a designer full time necessarily, um, which so in the past I've used, um, I've kind of contracted designers as needed. And I've even had part time designers on staff like um, Steve Shoger, who now is the co-founder of Tailwind Labs and works on Tailwind UI. He actually worked for me part time years ago, maybe 2017, 2018, <clears throat> uh, before they went full time on Tailwind. Um, but but now I'm, I'm trying this design joy thing. So we'll see how it goes. I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> excited to talk again <laughs> and <laughs> hear your opinion in half a year. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I still have like a little surprise for you. So um, one of your team members actually um, like told me about a little Easter egg that you built into Envoyer. Um, it uh, can actually deploy us into the past. Um, so um, <laughs> it, it, it makes us travel in time, and um, it's it's very easy. We just have to like hit a little. Uh, or type a little cheat code into, into the the JavaScript console, and then you you get like a date picker where you can can pick a date. And I decided to pick the year of 2011 when you actually started with Laravel. Um, and we now hit deploy, and um, we can now observe yourself uh, like little Taylor uh, working, just getting started with with the framework. And you now have the chance to actually whisper something into into young taylor's ears what would it be um i think i would go back to what i said earlier about sticking to your vision for what you want to build as you're building something especially in open source um there will be a lot of people that say i don't like this or i think it should work this way or i this is stupid or this is useless and they'll give you all these ideas for how it should work and then you'll have another group of people that are really excited about it like you know this changed my career this made my life so much easier blah 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 and it can be really easy to focus on the people that are super negative and like, okay, well, if I build this one feature they want, maybe that will convince them to use Laravel and like, I will have converted them, you know, to my way of doing things. And I found that honestly, it never really works that way. Like as you build something to try to appease your detractors, they will just find another thing, you know, to like not use it for that, for some other reason. Um, And and it's just a treadmill of like reasons for trying to satisfy those people. Um, So I would, if I was going to, uh, go back and tell myself anything. It would be just to focus on the people that actually love Laravel and enjoy using it and build for them and build for yourself and what you want to build to make your life happier. You know, Because the point of running a business or having um, these kinds of things is ideally, I think, to make your life better. Um, so if it's not making your life better, then what was the point of anything? You know, um, So f- focus on 
staying true to what your vision is and your philosophy is for your product or tool or SaaS or whatever, and, and just build it that way. Great. Um, thanks a lot, Taylor, for being my guest. And uh, I hope we, we have the chance again in the, in the future. Um, really yeah. like enjoying a lot but like to see all the success that you have with with Laravel, um, and 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 uh, yeah, I'm sure you you win. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. See you soon. Bye bye. <laughs>